0: Um, And so I have had a a couple people that I work with invest in my deals and um, some of them are super private and don't like to tell anyone, you know, what they're doing, which I totally respect and other people do kind of spread the word like that and that's kind of the best way to get referrals, I mean, at least in the healthcare industry like you know, doctors and nurses, like even if they're going out to buy a new car, they're asking like for referrals or like um, to buy a house, they're asking for realtor referrals. And so um, they work really big on that. And so the more traction that I'm getting with kind of healthcare professional investors, uh, the referral base is slowly building.
1: You're listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast. We're not here to bruise your bananas with guru sales pitches, overrated fluff, or any other kind of monkey business. We simply provide the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Today's guest is Savannah Arroyo out of Los Angeles, California. Savannah has been investing in real estate for a year and a half and already has three syndications on the general partnership side. She invests in Oregon and currently has a 12-unit, a 24-unit, and an 18-unit that her and her husband have tackled together. Savannah is the net worth nurse because she is a healthcare professional and helps busy healthcare professionals create passive income through investing in real estate. Savannah, welcome to the show. Happy to have you.
0: Hi. Yeah, thank you. I'm stoked to be here.
1: Yeah, so uh, you jumped right into syndications, which is something that most people tend to graduate from. You know, uh, a lot of people jump in going single family, multifamily, out of state, and then go into syndications probably five, 10 years into their career. You're at a year and a half, and you've already knocked out three syndications uh, out of state. Why don't you, before we talk about that, why don't you tell us how you got started, what made you decide to get into real estate, and what got you to where you're at today?
0: Yeah, definitely. So I am from Northern California. I grew up in Sacramento right out of high school. I knew I wanted to go into nursing. I just have always had a huge passion for it. So I went to Sacramento State, got my nursing degree. I graduated in 2013. And then I was working in a couple different specialties and a couple different hospitals. And I was just naturally gravitating towards leadership positions. I was taking on different roles and leadership roles at the hospitals I was working at. And so pretty quickly after I went back to school and I got my master's degree in nursing leadership and administration and I started investing and well, so, and then now I've I've transitioned down to Los Los Angeles, California. And I currently oversee multiple departments at a hospital here in LA. And I got started in real estate investing at the beginning of 2020, I was on maternity leave with my second daughter and my husband and I were just looking for different ways that we could start creating additional streams of income. We are both working Monday through Friday, uh, eight to five jobs. And we were just looking at a growing family and kind of the flexibility with time and being able to pick them up from school and take them to soccer practice and swimming lessons. And our current jobs just really didn't have that flexibility. So we were looking for a way to create another stream of income to kind of offset our, our W two jobs and stumbled upon real estate because it's one of the best strategies out there. And we got started right away. And we got two single family homes first, but really kind of at the same time we were entering in a coaching program for syndications. Cause right after we did those, they were brand new, uh, new built townhomes. We were like, okay, what's next? Like, what else can we do? And then we learned about syndications and the ability to um, partner with people to in a, in a team sport to take on these bigger deals. And it really just appealed to us. Um, it seemed like the perfect strategy and that's currently what we're doing right now.
1: Why did, why did syndication seem like the perfect strategy to you?
0: Yeah, so I think it was like when we heard that you could buy apartment complexes and really scale with your portfolio and really increase your returns while decreasing your risk. Like when we started learning about all that entails in multifamily, specifically the returns, we were really shocked as to how this could be done and how people were doing it. And we learned that these people are doing, and the majority of people are doing it through syndication. So we had never heard of that. And It is people pooling together their resources. Some people are bringing money to the deal. Other people are running it. Some people are bringing financing, property management. All the people are bringing these different skill sets to the deal to take down these larger deals. And the returns are amazing, less uh, risk involved.
1: I remember driving down the street in Panama City, Florida, and looking at like 100, 200 unit apartment complex and asked like, who owns this? Because I was looking at uh, like duplexes and triplexes. I was like, man, I don't know who Mr. Moneybags is, but it wasn't for five years until I even learned what a syndication was. Um, So for you to just jump in and go straight for a, what was it? A 12 unit was your first deal. You literally in, in, in your first deal knocked out the same amount of units. It took me three years to build up in Panama City, Florida. So I'm pretty mad about that, by the way, <laughs> but, but t- tell me about, tell me about like, uh, you know, your first one, uh, going straight for 12 units. Like what was the deal and, and what were you thinking?
0: Yeah, definitely. And a lot of that came from podcasts. Like I was listening, I was binging podcasts on my turn my maternity leave nonstop. Even when I started work, I was listening ability to scale through syndications. And so it was just like a big light bulb went off. I had never even heard of that term until I heard it on podcast. So that was kind of like falling into that. But yeah, once I start, we started learning about it, we, and realized we were set on doing it. We did invest in a coaching program, mentorship program, my husband and I, and that was because we had generated some interest from friends and family who are interested in passively investing in real estate deals. Like they wanted to get in to real estate and kind of reap some of the rewards that comes with those investments. But they didn't want to do a lot of the heavy lifting. They didn't want to deal with tenants, toilets, and trash. They really just wanted to take a very passive approach and let my husband and I do the work. And we were... I mean, we're loving it. And that was something we set out to do. I do operations at the um, hospital I work at, you know, overseeing multiple departments. So operations is very familiar to me. My husband uh, works in account management for benefits. So um, we we felt that our skill sets and our ability to take down these deals was definitely there. But we signed up for the coaching program really to have that extra set of eyes overlooking all of our underwriting because now we're dealing with other people's money and our friends and family money. So we were wanting to do everything in our power to really have the support we needed to take down these deals.
1: Yeah. When you when you're dealing with friends and family money, the, the game changes, right? Like I'm, I'm willing to, to put my money on the line and take responsibility for that. But whenever I'm I have friends and family's money, it's like a whole different set of accountability, right? Like now, now the, 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 gig's up and the deal is on. Right. So tell me about, uh, your first deal. You said it was an organ. Uh, how'd you raise money for it? It was, a, I'm guessing it was a 506 B that you said, since you said friends and family, and then, and then how long, like, did anything go wrong? Did everything go right? Or did it go exactly as the program said it would?
0: Yeah, never. So that never ever
1: happens. <laughs> you know, doing that was a baited question.
0: <laughs> Good, at rolling with the punches at that point, being flexible, especially. I mean, if, if that's something that healthcare has taught me, especially working through the pandemic during COVID, it's like adapting to change and being able to stay flexible and problem solve, which with whatever situation you're in is so key. Um, so uh, that deal. We were really looking up in organ um just to get practice running our numbers. Like when you start underwriting apartment deals, it's it's a lot different than single family homes. You're taking into a lot of different income and expenses and just a lot of different numbers. And so we were really kind of just getting practice, um, analyzing deal after deal after deal. And we were looking up in Oregon because I have family there. My parents are up there. We know the market's up there and we were getting some good OMS, um, which is the operating memorandum with all the numbers um, on LoopNet. And we ran one and we're like, oh, this looks pretty good. Like, let's just reach out to the broker. And when it's your first deal and you're kind of getting new into syndications, it's really hard to get brokers to take you seriously. And the, we happened to talk to this Marcus, Samilla Millichap broker, and he was a really young guy, like in his mid-20s, um, super motivated, and he never asked us our experience. And I think it was because we were super specific on what we were looking at. Yes, we were kind of replying to the property that we were thinking of, but we were like, hey, we're looking for properties 12 to 25, 24 units, uh, one to $3 million strong value add in these submarkets in Oregon. And when we said that, he's like, oh, okay, let me show you what I got. And so it wasn't until after we did that deal that he was like, oh, I didn't realize that was your guys' first deal. And then we kind of told him about our strategy and our business plan moving forward. And then we actually did our second and third deal through that same broker. Um, but yeah, so there was a 506B and we had friends and family invest. We raised a total of 250. Um, that was our first time raising capital. We had an investor drop out last minute. And so we had to come up with an extra 50,000 that we weren't originally anticipating to invest. Um, so we ended up pulling from our retirement account under the cares act, which during 2020, you could do it penalty free, which was amazing. I wish I would have done it with like all my retirement. (laughs) Um, there was a lot of opportunity with that. And so we ended up, um, financing it with a local credit union. We uh, vetted out property management teams up there. Um, So we have those in place currently. And really the business strategy with that specific deal is it was really mismanaged. It was um, actually from a guy in San Diego, an older gentleman that actually owned multiple multifamily apartment complexes. And this one was really just on the back burner. He wasn't investing a lot of time and energy in it. And he had one of the guys It was one of the guys is like was an off family member that was like managing the property and he lived there. So he wasn't raising rents, wasn't taking care of the expenses. So there was a lot of opportunity in the deal. and So we went in, um, made the offer and took it over. And now we're steadily raising rents and decreasing the expenses, which really drives up the returns for our investors.
1: That's awesome. What was the total purchase price?
0: One million dollars.
1: So a million bucks on your first investment never raised capital before raised 250,000 bucks. And then well raised 200 and then had to pull five fifty thousand from your, your savings. Cause somebody pulled yes. out, right? Well, uh-huh. and, and that's pretty awesome. But oh, how, let me ask you this. How many deals did it take for you underwriting and looking through and sifting through until you finally landed on your first one?
0: Yeah, probably about 70 and we were doing, maybe we were making a goal when we first started in the coaching program to really, we knew that this was our biggest hurdle and the biggest reason we were investing in the coaching program. A lot of people will invest in coaching programs for the accountability. My husband and I don't need that. Like we are action takers. We're there, we're showing up, we're putting in the work. We really wanted, the practice underwriting and having a coach sit with us one on one and go over it. Um, so we were just um, underwriting as many deals as we could for those first couple of months. So yeah, probably about seventy before we found that one.
1: Yeah, and I, I can tell you, it's when when we first started our syndication business, it took us from about six to eight months until we ever got any real traction with brokers and real until we closed our first deal, uh, and even that was a co GP deal. There's a, a, a large deal, but I'm getting, I think it's a fair statement to say that once you try once you start syndicating, if you're assuming that your traction is going to be immediate, like you're going to graduate from this boot camp and you're just going to go start syndicating, uh, prepare yourself. Cause it's, uh, b- about a year, six months to a year before any, anyone really takes you You got all your, uh, your lingo, your verbiage, your systems in place before a broker will take you seriously. Is that kind of what you guys saw?
0: Oh, definitely. Yes. We were talking to broker. I mean, it, we probably talked to maybe like 30 different brokers before we even found this guy who did take us seriously. And I mean, I get it because they're they're dealing with people who just don't even respond to their emails, who are just out there, tire kickers, you know? And so I get why brokers are like that, but at the same time, I think we were just going the extra mile to demonstrate to our brokers and specifically this one that we were very serious about what we're doing. Um, And it takes a lot of upfront communication to do that.
1: Yeah. That was going to be my next question. What if you had to, uh, to talk to a new syndicator and tell them what the best strategy to get a broker to take you seriously would be, what is it?
0: Get specific on what you're looking at and then give them feedback. So I know people who will go out there and they'll be like, Oh, I just want a value add deal in Sacramento. Like that doesn't give your broker any, I mean, you know, like I get some people are trying to keep their options open and trying to get as many deals to them as possible that are value add deals, but it's really in everyone's best interest. I think to be specific, you know, with the price point, with the unit amount, with the market or sub market that you're in. Um, and that's kind of being realistic on how much capital you think you're going to be able to raise, like what the financing looks like. I mean, the the di- i think the most difficult part about doing syndications is it's so many moving pieces at once like it's not the chicken before the egg thing of like you kind of need to know how much capital you have raised before you start submitting offers and start looking at properties and you kind of need to have financing in place before Um, as well. And, you know, a legal team and property management, and it's kind of all fluid, like the puzzle pieces coming together. And so um, getting super specific on what you're looking at and when the brokers do send you deals, let them know what you think. So even if you don't like it, like my husband and I made it a point to within 48 hours respond to any of the brokers and let them know either, Hey, we like it. Can we see additional information or uh, the rent roll or, um, Hey, this one, isn't going to make our numbers work for our investors. Keep us like, let us know what else you got going on or something like that. So even if you don't like it, still respond and let them know, like maybe why you didn't like it. Um, even if it's something that's like, yeah, it's it, the numbers aren't working, you know, um, something like that. And then just kind of overly communicate with them. And then they know like, Hey, they're taking this seriously. They're actually looking at these deals. They're running the numbers and contemplating it. Like, I think that goes a long way in building the relationship with brokers.
1: hundred percent. And that, that was the, the, I don't know the pivotal moment in my syndication career, whenever I realized like, instead of, instead of focusing on capital raising or focusing on deal finding focus on building relationships first, because relationships in, in, in any industry, but definitely in the syndication industry, relationships is going to get you where you want to go. And it's like, I think, I think I was kind of forgetting early on that, that like brokers, they're not desperate. They, they, they want to do business with you, but they also are going to do business with people that they know. Like that's how, that's how mm-hmm. anything goes. So you got to get to know them. And the best way to get to know them is to focus on building a relationship rather than just, Hey, send me every deal you got. Cause they, they, they don't want to cast a, a massive net hoping to find, a whole bunch of people to deal with. They would much rather these guys can close. These are the people I'm going to send this to. I know they'll like this deal. How do I know they're going to like this deal? Because they told me this is exactly the deals that they would like. So I'm going to think of them whenever one of these comes up. And it took me a while to kind of, to get to that. But once I finally did, that's exactly what led us to one of our first deals as well. I'm glad. And you said, and now look at it, you've done one deal with that broker that same broker knows what deals you like. And he brought you a 24 unit and a 18 unit, I'm guessing in the same locations.
0: Um, different sub markets in Oregon, but yeah, kind of in the same ish area. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So now he's, th- those are all relatively the same unit size making and, and mix in the same state. So now you've proven that you can close, you prove that you take it seriously and you prove that you like those deals. So why wouldn't he bring every deal like that to you? Because he knows, you know, these are the people who buy these kinds of deals. So, what yes. what is the, what is the next step for you and your husband uh, from here? From here, what what size deals are you guys going after, and what markets are you looking at?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, we did those three syndication deals, I think, within a six month period. So, it was a <laughs> lot of work and a lot of capital raising, and I was exhausted, honestly, by the second one because that was like a six hundred seventy five k raise. By that one, I was telling my husband, okay, we need to take a little bit break on this. I need to catch up on some of my content building with my brand, the net worth nurse. And the broker, that broker that we love sent us this 18 unit. And my husband looked at it and he's like, oh, no way. The numbers are too good. We can't pass it up. We got to just keep your momentum from raising and just keep raising. And so we ended up doing that third one. And so now I think we officially closed on that one two weeks ago. So now we're really kind of pumping the brakes, I'm really working on kind of more, um, getting strategic with the, the net worth nurse and kind of where I want to go with that. And then my husband's, um, getting his real estate license just so that we can have extra rewards for come tax time. Um, and then we plan to definitely look at num- another, another deal within the next three months. Cause we do have investors wanting to invest. Um, but we're, we're looking, um, we st- we like Oregon. We love Atlanta, Georgia and Reno, Nevada. We haven't found a really, really good broker over there yet. Cause the inventory is really low and it's competitive. Um, but looking kind of maybe the 50 ish units, like two to 4 million price point.
1: Okay. Awesome. So what, uh, whenever you guys are looking at a market, what is it that you guys, what metrics are you taking a look at to, f- to pick out the markets you like?
0: Um, definitely employment, um, population trends, um, just overall growth, um, kind of the rehab of different markets and cities, like whether it's kind of like people are renovating things and making it look building new things, or if it's kind of like frozen in a state of time, um, we look at kind of variability within different employment sectors, um, just kind of a lot of stuff. (laughs) We do some pretty heavy research on a market. That's why we're, we stay pretty specific to the three that we have. And then kind of just continue to grow from there. Cause I know when people talk about partnering or different markets, I'm like, oh man, I know nothing about that. I'd have to spend like a few weeks digging into that market to really know it because that's like the key key piece when you're selling the business plan to investors.
1: Oh yeah. And you, you can, you can make money in a, in a bad market and you can lose money in a good market. So if you don't understand mm-hmm. what it is you're buying or, or the play, the real estate play within that market, for example, I, I purchased some real estate in Shreveport, Louisiana, cause I had no clue how to create a market. That's what actually led me to researching how to do markets because it was a horrible multifamily market, delinquency, crime rate, like everything that you could think about. Uh, It was just kind of a cesspool for a bad multifamily market and made no money. Shreveport has paid me no money, uh, but I've given Shreveport some of my money. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, market research, understanding the different metrics is is huge whenever you're taking on other people's money and you're going to deploy it out of state, which right now you're in L.A., L.A., has a high net worth, but very low cash flow. So I can see your ability to raise capital, especially in the healthcare industry, is probably gonna be one of your greatest assets because you're in and around doctors, you're in and around nurses, you're in and around people who are busy and don't have time to focus on this stuff and want to deploy that money into a different market. So why don't you tell me, uh, talk to me a little bit about how you're, you're networking and like, I like your name, you come up with the net worth nurse. Your virtual background right now is like the little heart <laughs> monitor thing. I love that. Uh, so it, it seems like you, you, you're, you, the theme of you is be very specific about what you want, what you're targeting. Uh, tell me how 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 that works out for you, and 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 talk a little bit about that, please.
0: Yeah, definitely. So after we did that first deal, the 12 unit, we, my husband and I were like, okay, we didn't necessarily like the capital raising aspect of things. Like we felt felt like. Kind of salesy, like even family members would be like, is this a pyramid scheme? Like they just didn't really kind of understand it. And so (laughs) it it was exhausting. I know those, those type of questions. And so we were like, how can we, we were thinking, okay, for our next deals and the rest of our deals, we'll just partner with capital raisers. There's people out there that love capital raising they, we didn't want to be like the face of a company and a brand. And so we're like, okay, let's go down that route. And when we started going down that route, we just started having conversations and we're like, regardless, we're going to have to build some sort of brand for ourselves. Like we're not going to be able to be operators of multifamily deals with having, without having some sort of presence online on social media. Um, And so, so now I'm the net worth nurse, right? I feel like cringy. My face is everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it was just kind of like, how can I do it? If this is what I'm going to do, I want to do it in the most genuine way possible. And I just realized, okay, you know, what, what do I got going on? I'm a, I'm a nurse, a woman, a mom. And so really that's just what I put out there. And that's kind of what I talked to investors about. And I, um, my husband helped me brand the network nurse. He came up with that name. We were making a huge list of catchy nurse names and Um, just kind of got all my handles on social media and just started creating content for investors because that was one of the biggest pieces in capital raising is people were asking me the same questions. So every investor I was talking to, they, they didn't really understand what a syndication was or kind of how the returns worked or how the business strategy put money back in their pocket every month. And so then I was like, all right, I need to, I need to do something about this. This is getting exhausting. Like literally drawing out what a syndication looks like, and I send that to people before I even hop on a call with them, just so if they've never heard of syndications, they can have a broad idea of what it's like. I started doing blogs about like how returns work, um, different business strategies. Like when we have a deal and do our presentation, we go over all aspects of the deal, the market. Um, kind of how it works to show them the numbers, how, what they're expected to get on a yearly basis, quarterly basis. And so um, it really motivated me to create the content to ensure that my investors are very educated before they start handing over money to the investments. And the net worth nurse gave me a platform to do that.
1: It uh, builds trust, right? Like uh, if you if you're just telling somebody what you want to do, it's very hard to convince them cause they, they don't just like a broker, like, okay, well, if I can't really look you up and look up what you're doing and you're in a, the syndication world, like what's your track record? Well, if they can look you up, I mean, this is all nice to have. Is at the end of the day, you gotta be able to raise capital. And you gotta have deals, but how can you raise capital if nobody knows who you are and how can you get deals if nobody sees any type of track record or sees any type of level of seriousness? And looking at your website, uh, you know, you've got all the, it's you explaining how all this works, right? It's not, hey, here's a link to a guy explaining how syndications work. Well, okay, I'm gonna go invest in that guy, right? It's literally you explaining how all of this works, where, you know, where, how you get your money back. Uh, It it just shows that level of credibility. Uh, And I'm I'm guessing you, you did this after you bought your 12 unit or you did this before you bought your 12 unit?
0: Yeah. Right after we bought that 12 unit was when I launched the net worth nurse. And that that was, I love that you said that because it was exactly it, the trust piece. And when I had a call, I had a couple calls with like a marketing coach and um, kind of just to develop like the best strategy to go out there and do this. And they're like, trust is the biggest barrier between you and someone wanting to invest money. So you need to get in front of a camera and talk about what you're doing. Because I did not want to do videos. I didn't want to, I didn't want my like face to be doing this stuff. And they were like, you got to do it. Like it's 2021. And I know me personally as a consumer, like if I'm going to a new restaurant or a new city, like I'm looking them up on Instagram and I'll just type in the city and like see kind of what's going on over there. or Like see what people are posting from a different restaurant or something like that. So I consume social media and like a research way and so i did see the benefit of doing something like that and i knew that it was going to be the best way to go about it was to show my face and be as genuine and just kind of share my story and honestly that's really all i do now like i'm i hop on instagram and i'll i'll show pictures of like what i'm doing in real estate and also what i'm doing in healthcare and like what i do as in my job as a nurse and then kind of like stuff with my kids and my family cuz that's a huge part of my life as well and i'll just kind of share Every It shows people who I am as a person outside of a real estate investor. And it really helps to build that trust.
1: How many people come up to you in the hospital and just, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about real estate. You know, like how how much attention Uh on you?
0: Oh my gosh. I, I feel like I still will go like bright red when people come up to approach me in the hospital, because I honestly, I don't do, you know, any real estate stuff while I'm there, but it has kind of gotten out that I have my company, the net worth nurse, and I invest in real estate. And because you know, when people ask me, what are you doing this weekend? What'd you do last week? And it was like, oh yeah, I went to a real estate conference or, oh, I had to fly up to Oregon to do a walkthrough on one of this property I'm building. And so I would talk about it, not in a salesy way, but like just, this is what I'm doing in real estate. And I mean, the doctors are like all about cryptocurrency, right? Like that was a huge craze and they'd be talking about it. And I would kind of like interject into some of the conversations of like, would you guys do anything in real estate? And then when I'd kind of start talking about like what I do in real estate, like their eyes would be like, "What? Like, what are you doing in real estate?" Like, and then if if it came down to me showing them like the net worth nurse and kind of what I'm doing, um, it's it's kind of a hurdle of like shock and surprise, and then like, "Oh, okay, all right, I get it." Um, And so I have had a a couple people that I work with invest in my deals and um, some of them are super private and don't like to tell anyone, you know, what they're doing, which I totally respect and other people do kind of spread the word like that and that's kind of the best way to get referrals, I mean, at least in the healthcare industry like you know, doctors and nurses, like, even if they're going out to buy a new car, they're asking like for referrals or like, um, to buy a house, they're asking for realtor referrals. And so, um, they work really big on that. And so the more traction that I'm getting with, um, kind of healthcare professional investors, uh, I, the referral base is slowly building.
1: Yeah. third party referrals is, it turns somebody from interested into a hot lead like that, right? Like they, essentially a referral is hey you i trust you you've done all the research and you just told me how i don't have to go do all the research so it's a it's an immediate sold and i love that like my my network is all military and i used to think man if the military is just a bunch of broke people like me i don't need to network (laughs) military people right it's pretty true Like i grew up grew up broke yeah work work with a bunch of government employees we're all broke but at the end of the day, it's uh, there's people get out of the military and they've got the military mindset that they can apply to a lot of things, like get the mission done. And most of the people that I know now who've gotten out of the military extremely successful in any business that they've done, and they still. But the one thing that the military does kind of l- let people get comfortable with is that W two job, like they like that steady stream of income, the benefits, and they they transition. Uh, outside of the military and just get a high-paying one. And the other side of that is because we're in the military, we move all the time. So a lot of people become accidental landlords. Like they buy single-family homes and they they move and they set up that breadcrumb trail to where they, they didn't mean to be a landlord. They just didn't want to sell the house. So the market wasn't the right time to sell the house. Now they're landlords. problem is a lot of that single-family and their their taste for real estate is not necessarily a good one because they've owned all these single family homes that haven't really made them any real money over the years, other than equity. So I've found, I've found good uh, partners in real estate. Then I've found people who are just no matter what I tell them, no real estate's bad. Don't really realize that there's like a, a, a plethora of things that you can do inside of real estate. Like there is diversity within real estate as well. So it's good that you have, access to a lot of high net worth individuals that work in and around the hospital and probably already trust you. But whenever you bring that real estate, Hey, I'm doing real estate. Like is the trust for that there? Does it transition? Uh, Like you said, they, they kind of look at you like, wait, what are you talking about? Uh, What's been your experience with that?
0: So it's, it's exactly like you said, like some people are, no matter what you say, are so risk opposed and will find any reason to not do it because, I mean, really, it kind of boils down to fear and being scared of it and just not knowing, I think, a lack of education. And so for me like yeah there's a savvy investor right so the physicians that are already investing in different things and understand the importance of investing and making your money work for you as opposed to letting it sit in a savings account with inflation, you're really losing money on that. And some people will just sit and put it in a savings account, save, 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 but it just really doesn't do anything for them. And they're at a huge loss doing that, but they think that's the safe way to go about it. And that investments are risky. So if I get the opportunity to kind of educate people on really the differences between that and like looking at it in numbers, um, they're a little bit more inclined to think like, Oh, okay. You know, I, but again, I don't like to be salesy at all. So if someone's really turned off on it and they're thinking it's super sketch, I just, I'm like, I kind of leave it. I don't really push it because it's, it's just not the best use of my time. And I think that's kind of where I'm trying to get more specific on marketing and getting in front of people who are already somewhat investor savvy, as opposed to kind of just blanking it out to everyone who doesn't really maybe understand the investments and won't be as inclined to invest. And I think just kind of reframing it um, for a lot of capital raisers is that like you're providing a huge service for people. And like I'm reminded when I have conversations with like nurses or doctors who like I had a call yesterday with a nurse who was doing Airbnbs up in the Bay Area like, I'm just done with it. I'm done. I want to sell my houses. I want to just hand over my money to someone else. I want to be so passive. I don't want to deal with any of this anymore. And when I realize that I can provide the opportunity for someone and give them amazing returns, maybe even better than they were making in their like single family home through this passive investment. And then it allows me and my team to continue growing uh, apartment deals and providing these uh, these opportunities for other people. Like it's just the perfect fit. It's like, it reminds you like, okay, you don't need to be like wasting your time. I kind of hate that phrase, but like with people who definitely aren't inclined to invest because there's so many people out there who don't even know this opportunity exists. And when I talk to those people and they get all fired up about it and they're like, oh my God, this concept, I love it. It's so amazing. And I want to just invest passively and like let you do all the work. Then it's like, oh, okay, like you're providing this service, like it's a need out there.
1: Yeah, and that's what, for, for me, whenever I look at any deal, I look at it not just in in terms of like cash on cash, I look at our return on investment, I look at it as, as return on time as well. And I tell people, you know, a lot a lot of people wanna get into real estate, they wanna do it all themselves. And it's like, that's a great, that is a, I think you should, you definitely should but just know it's gonna be four or five years till you find your stride, right? Like like a real stride. It's gonna be a couple of years until you see any like real returns on investment. But what you're doing is you're putting together that upfront time now to buy you back time later. For me, it's not about money. It's about how, how what can I do now to where, you know, let, let's say I make $100,000 a year. Well, if I can make $20,000 a year in real estate in one year, then now I've bought myself back 20% of my time. I don't have to. I don't have to spend that 20% of time anymore. It's gonna take me five years to get 100% of my time back, at, based on that math, right? So, whenever people hear that passive income, some people are turned off by it. I want to be more active. I want to learn about it. But some people are like, I don't have the time. And those are those are really the real people who are gonna invest in syndicates. Probably the best fit. Uh, you you might have some one-time investors so that they can learn the process and then they're off to the races on their own. But the the true people who they should be doing what they're good at, which is their W2 job and not investing in real estate because they're not good at it. That'd be like me with cryptocurrency. I have no, I don't know what a cryptocurrency is. Like how do you hold a Bitcoin? Where does it go? Like what machine do you put a Bitcoin into? I don't get it. So I'm not investing in it. And you, it does not matter if you Savannah were like the crypto queen, the, the, the the crypto nurse. I don't care. You could tell me every day. Di- if I don't trust, I don't understand it. I'm not investing in it. So I have to approach the same other people the same way. Like, okay, they don't get real estate. They don't want to get it. I'm not going to talk them into it. I'm not going to try. <laughs> it's kind of how I go about it. But yeah. yeah. So, so let me, so let me ask you this. Uh, you guys are at, uh, you just bought your 18 unit in Oregon. You and your husband are putting together, uh, or it seems like you are pretty much done with your website. I mean, it looks amazing. Uh, you've got your brand down pat. What are you chasing? Like, what's all this for?
0: Um, the time freedom for sure. Um, it was like, just hit me when I was on maternity leave, like just, it's just, it doesn't feel natural leaving a 3 month old baby with someone else for you to go back to work and at that point i i love working i love my job but that maternal instinct of like and then the realization of like i will always be a slave to my job like until i'm 65 or you know whatever retirement age like i will always have to go back to work as long as i'm generating active income and i don't have passive income coming in and just i felt so trapped honestly and like i didn't really have a choice. Um, and that was a huge motivating factor in like, we need to figure it out. And, um, we read an amazing book, financial freedom through real estate investing by Michael Blanc. It's like a little yellow book. And it was just like the way he explained how you can really scale through multifamily and make just, he, he broke it down into numbers of like, you know, if you do this many units and then you can replace this much of your income, like it was just a huge shift. My husband and I were like, this is it. This is how we're going to get this freedom is like going down this route. And as soon as we discovered that we sat down and got super specific on our why and our goals. And we were like, Hey, in five years, where do we want to be? Like we're waking up in five years. Where are we? Are we here in LA? Are we in Hawaii? Are we going to work eight hours a day or what are we doing with our kids? Like, who are we talking to? What projects are we working on? Like we just got super creative with it. And Such a great activity when you're planning goals and kind of just trying to discover your why. Um, I highly recommend doing something like that and then kind of working your way back. So then we were like, okay, well, if this is where we want to be at five years, we need to be generating this amount of monthly income to make this happen. Okay. How many deals do we need to be doing by three years to get to that point? How many do we need to be doing at one year to get there? And then it kind of breaks down, like even on a monthly basis, like we need to be underwriting this many deals. We need to be talking to this many investors. And so um, we were, were, we still are, I mean, super motivated to get there. And so, I mean, we're grinding we work our full-time jobs and we have two young kids, but we know that this is gonna be the, the freedom for us. And so it motivates us to keep going.
1: Are are, you, are your parents still alive? Yes. Are they retired? No. That's my motivation, 100%. Like yeah. just exactly what you say at the nail on the head, they're slave to your job, uh, my dad, he's an entrepreneur, but he's self-employed like in that quadrant of the Kiyosaki metric. Right. Um, you know, goes to work every day, has to be there nine to five. My mom's a nurse as well. She's a director of nurses at a nursing home. Uh, I think that she, she was, she was in hospice. I don't know. She just does nursing stuff. I don't even know anymore what she does. She takes care of people, but there I'm, I am literally going to retire before my parents. I've got four years left in the military, uh, the planet with, I mean, I'm going to retire before them. I, I might, I, if things go bad, I might have to go to work at another job, but I'll at least have a retirement that I can rely on in four years. And then the, the real estate's essentially my plan to replace the amount of income that I'll be not making once I'm retired from the military. But that has been my motivation since I was 18 years old because I saw my parent, like they just, every day, uh, dual income house, had to be and just grinding my mom would work nights my dad would work days like they never got to really see each other they're finally starting to hit their stride it's uh i like to say it like they're learning how to dance and the party's over you know what i mean like uh it it kind of sucks to see so that is something that motivates the hell out of me because i've got kids and i you know I, i try to balance time with them but i also Need to say like, all right, I got to balance time with me too. What's the plan? Like, how am I going to buy back this time? So I'm glad that you said that because a lot of people think it's just for the money. Like, I just want to make more money. I want to live. It's it's not about materialistic stuff. There's one thing that you can't materialize is your time. <laughs> you can't. It's impossible. Yeah. So that's great. Um, and ha- and how active is your husband in on this? Are you guys a fifty fifty team? Or are you kind of the 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 face of it and he's behind the scenes. How's that dynamic work?
0: Yeah, we, so we did that first deal, uh, the 12 units side by side and we were working with the coach. So we were on every broker call together with the local team, with property managers, with investors. We went through that first deal side by side together. And then after we did it, we were kind of like, all right, let's split it up. Like, let's kind of start working on different things. And, um, I thought, oh, I'm going to do asset management. I oversee operations at my job. I'm used to working on multiple projects at once. I want to do this. And it took like one week of me trying to talk to my contractors and get them to get on the ball and get out to the property and start getting stuff done. And I was like, oh, hell no, I cannot do this. I am not made <laughs> out to do that. My husband has the patience of a saint. He's so good. Um, So he's took over that. So he does acquisitions, asset management. and I do more marketing and investor relations. Um, and that's kind of how we have split up the business up until this point. That
1: seems like a good fit. Definitely. I mean, I know like my, my wife's not into real estate. It's not her jam, but I've got a team of, of, uh, three other guys and it really did take us a while to figure out who wanted what, uh, uh, what part of the pie, you know, like who's good at what, uh, and, and that's kind of what led me to the podcast to be kind of more of the face, another guy very good task manager but I I pick on him I tell him he can't see past his nose which isn't true but he just like he's looking down what's the next step while I'm looking at where are we going right and then uh we have a guy who's done construction in the navy for almost 20 years so he's obviously the project manager style person and but it took a while for for me whenever I was building my team to be like I almost wanted to gravitate towards other people that were like me and to be honest, I would probably hate myself. <laughs> I'd probably hate yeah. hanging out with myself because I know how I am and I don't like people like me, but I love these guys and it's good jive. But now I feel like really now we're starting to divvy up where we always wanted to be on every single meeting. We always had that. All four of us had mm-hmm. to talk to each other and now we don't have to talk to each other. We can make decisions independently, uh, do things independently. We don't have, we come together and, and give updates and man, I, I love that for sure. Like it's, it's, that's being a team. And in fact, we don't have to be on every call. But well, that's great. So let me ask you this. Um, What about failures? What's been your biggest failure in real estate?
0: Yeah, I think I would say probably trusting people that I guess, their job, right? Like expecting your legal team to know all the legalities of a syndication deal and to be doing everything in your best interest and expecting your contractors to be doing the same and your property management team. I think it's super important that even though they are the professionals, that you still have to oversee what they're doing because it's your project. And Um, we worked with a different legal team for our first deal and just kind of the way he was doing things. We were really just trusting that he was uh, just doing things the best way he knew, but he wasn't very, very, um, the way he did syndications was a lot different. And it took me after doing, we used that same legal team for the first two deals. And for the second deal, the way he was structuring it, I couldn't have New York investors invest with me. And I had two nurses over there that I had to tell them they couldn't invest. And that was just like, so hard for me to do because i already told them they could and my lawyer didn't tell me until after and so i ended up kind of vetting out a different legal team who i met at like a networking event at a conference so this huge huge importance to build relationships in the real estate community because the referrals are amazing and the ability to share resources So I met a different um, lawyer at a conference and then kind of started talking to him and I was just running it by him. I'm like, Hey, my legal team's doing this. Like what, like, what's, what do you think? And he's like, Oh, no way. They're just being late. They're lazy. They're doing things way different. Like, this is what he's doing. He's being very conservative. And so we ended up switching and using this other legal team for my, um, well, for our third deal. So it was just kind of like vetting out uh, different people and just always keeping it in mind. Like even with the property management team, like my husband manages the property manager, like the property manager knows our business plan and business strategy and what we hope to accomplish year after year in terms of like raising rents and taking care of expenses. But my husband still has weekly calls with her telling, you know, following up on what's going on. And if he's looking into something like she said she did, and he's not seeing it, you know, just holding people accountable and still taking accountability for your part as the operator of the deal.
1: Of all places to make sure money can't come from why why would somebody say you can't get money from New York? <laughs> that's oh that's gosh. where I, was, I need money from New York, man.
0: <laughs> I it was like so cut out Kansas
1: yeah. or something, not New York, right? I know. <laughs> that's funny. I know. I've never I've never heard that before in my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I'm managing the managers. If 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 everybody did their job, we wouldn't need an asset management team, right? So. Right. Okay. So the question that I ask everybody is what really bruises your bananas in the real estate world? What I mean by that is what's the biggest lie being told in real estate that you've seen?
0: I think that there's one way to do things. People will, as you start going out or even as you start getting traction and doing more things, like I feel like people will always share their opinion of what I need to do next. And I have heard and talked to so many people that are like, you need to be doing bigger deals and be partnering with other people and scaling and be doing 100 plus deals. Stop wasting your time with these smaller deals. And I always just, I've learned because I've talked to multiple people, just take it with a grain of salt. And my husband are very specific with what we want to do with our business. And um, yeah, we definitely love, love, love the idea of partnerships, but I think it just goes to show that people will—the way that they're doing it—they always think is the best way. But there's so many different ways out there that you can do it. I mean, I—I I would hear all the time people saying, "Oh, you live in LA, like you can't invest there. Like there's no way you can do it." And I've recently been talking to some other syndicators out here that are doing like cash for keys and making a killing and giving their. Uh, like almost doubling their investor returns in three years through um, what they're doing here in LA. So just, it just goes to show that um, do your own research and just kind of follow your gut instinct on things.
1: So to, to caveat on that. So, so that the listeners understand what cash for keys is because it's, it's a concept that like can't get through my head. It's essentially rent control areas, right? And won't you all explain, yes. explain what's going on there?
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So for in Los Angeles, there's major, major rent control. So there's some buildings here. And like, so for instance, in downtown LA, they had a seven unit and there were tenants in place that were paying $900 for rent. The going was like 2800. Yeah. So this is just a, pr- a prime example of a value add property where the management team that was in place with it, just like either didn't know what they were doing, didn't care, had no drive to really push returns for anyone. Um, so, so they're going into these buildings, buying it and they're giving tenants cash for keys. So they're giving them like 20, $30,000 to move out so that then they can raise rents up to market level. And that's really the only way you can do it is if the tenants leave, because otherwise there's rent control and you wouldn't be able to even raise it. I don't even know what the max limit here in L.A. is right now, but you wouldn't be able to get a profit on that with where the rents are right now. So they give the tenants cash for keys. Um, it's a pretty, pretty, crazy business plan. I mean, you really need to know if the tenants will take the cash for keys before you even buy something like that. I mean, I'm I'm still learning about it myself, but um, there's a lot of cool strategies in every market that people can make work.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if there's a will, there's a way, and that's that's problem solving. And it, it, like whenever I, because I I toured a property in LA, and the guy was talking about cash for keys. And I was like, "Wait a minute! Your first move is to pay a tenant twenty grand to get out." I'm like, "That's mm-hmm. the opposite of everything that I've learned." Like, I'm I'm trying to get tenants in, but once I realize, like, "Hey, different markets have different legalities," and that's how it can play in, uh, and 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 it creates it it creates an opportunity if you're willing to pay that cash and get those keys. Eventually, you can increase your NOI and, and advance, you know, especially in a cap rate compressed market like LA every yeah, three and a half, in, four yeah every percent. every dollar you bring in you know uh, exponentially increases uh the value of that property which is insane to me because i definitely uh i live in san diego so same deal very low cash flow high um high equity growth area or high high appreciation and so i've i've been pretty much blinded to the idea you can't invest in san diego and it just Probably because I have pretty good access to the southeast where cash flow is high, but mm-hmm. there are way there are people do it. There's a reason that these properties cost so much in San Diego because there are people making money on them. But yeah, so cool. Is are you guys looking to invest in L.A.?
0: Yeah.
1: Are you guys? Is your next move? Are you guys trying to invest in L.A. at all?
0: we so, we have such a strong broker relationship up in Oregon that we're going to definitely be looking there, but yeah, we're meeting with um, a couple next weekend to kind of go over this whole LA strategy. So we're going to kind of learn more about it.
1: it would be nice to be able to invest in your backyard, right? As when I was down in Panama city, Florida, it definitely made a lot of sense to invest right in my backyard. I didn't know I was investing in a good little sub market. I just happened to be investing in real estate and thought wherever I'm at, Real estate works, and then whenever I invest in Shreveport, I got I got my wagon fixed real quick <laughs> 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 on oh, no, how that works. But all right, Savannah. So let's. Uh, if 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 people want to invest with you, want to get to know more about you, find you, c- connect with you, uh, how can they do so?
0: Yeah, I made it really easy for you. So the net worth nurse. So that's my. Uh, handle on all social media accounts, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. You can find me under the net worth nurse. That's also my website, the And I love talking to people about real estate if you can't tell. So if you're remotely interested in anything I've been saying, please reach out. I would love to connect.
1: And I see you have a free worksheet on overcoming limiting beliefs. Uh, if you want to yes. plug that real quick, why don't you go ahead and tell us what, what that's about?
0: Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of one of the big things that I've been asked on podcasts is like, how, how are you able to accomplish so much in such a short period of time? And for me, it was overcoming three limiting beliefs, not having enough money to get started not having enough time to get started and not having enough resources to get started. I actually, um, recently made a YouTube video about this. I think it's like, 20 minutes long about just kind of how I overcame those beliefs. And then it motivated me to do a worksheet on it. So I have that on my website. It's a free download. You can head over there, thenetworthnurse.com and check it out.
1: All right, Savannah, it's been great. I appreciate you coming on the show and I hope to have you back sometime. Thanks for listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast, where we give you the ground pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Learn more at realfocus.org slash Gorilla State Pod.